Well, good morning. I'm Dan. I'm the youth pastor here, uh, and I get to be with you guys this morning. And so just to quick bring you guys up to speed, if you're visiting, um, we've just started a new series, uh, and this is on Acts. Um, and so this is a, the book of Acts. We're going through um, this book, and we're going to be highlighting a bunch of individuals um, and stories in the book of Acts. Um, and the book start, the, the actual book of Acts starts uh, with um, post-resurrection Christ, um, before he has ascended into heaven, and he's given the disciples the Great Commission. Um, and then following that, they receive the Holy Spirit, and they start building up the church. And the 12 disciples um, go out, and it starts growing very, very quickly. And so they need help, and so they need to recruit more and more people to help with all the responsibilities of this growing group of believers. And Stephen, he is the man we are going to be uh, talking about this morning. Stephen was one of these individuals recruited to assist and help the disciples in the building, growing, and the ministry of the early church. Um, but before we get into Stephen... Um, the story of Stephen has kind of two aspects to it. There's Stephen, who's accused, we'll get into a, uh, a little bit more of this in a second, but he's, a, he's, he's accused of um, false teaching, and he's accused by this very large crowd. And so we've got a crowd dynamic, and we have an individual dynamic going on here. And so this caused me, as I was reading and as I was kind of praying through this, this kind of stood out to me um, new this time. The story of Stephen, and again, we'll get into this more in just, uh, just a couple minutes, but the story of Stephen's remarkable. But what stood out to me this time was a crowd, and so I, was, I got really curious, just like, why do crowds act the way they do? And so I did some research on the psychology of, like, why crowds act differently, like individuals who would normally be very peaceful, like well-meaning people, all of a sudden you put them into a crowd and they do whatever they want. And uh, I guess one example is uh, when I was in Chicago, the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup, and you know, that's a time for celebration. And yet this poor person, their car is getting turned over by a crowd in celebration. So why is it that people act differently in a crowd? Again, we're, we're contrasting this crowd with the individual Stephen in just a minute. But we've seen this. We've seen aspect of group dynamics um, and individuals and movements um, that have manipulated for personal gain or to push a personal agenda. We see this in politics and businesses and organizations all the time. And so as I'm doing this research, I came across some really intriguing examples. And one example happened five years ago in China. Back in 2013, an individual, um, the pollution was so bad in the country at this time that he thought it would be a good idea to sell cans of fresh air. There they are. That is 100% non-polluted air in those cans. He sold these cans, get this, he sold these cans for 80 cents a can. That's more than like a can of soda. 80 cents a can. Well, as since the, the, uh, the, uh, the country was going through such bad pollution, it was kind of this hot topic. Um, a couple people bought onto it, and then everyone else was like, oh, this is a good idea. This guy sold 10 million cans in 10 days. 
Instant millionaire with fresh air. So why is this? Another example comes from the Netherlands. Back in the 1500s. Like many of you know, the Netherlands is popular for its fields of tulips. It's beautiful. Well, in the 1500s, a tulip was a sign of status. Tulip was a sign of status, and this caused the people to purchase more and more tulips. The more tulips you had, the nicer your life looked, the more important you were, the wealthier you were, all that. It became so popular and significant that on many occasions, family would use all of their life savings just to purchase more tulips. Those would have died within a week. just to prove to their communities how significant they were. And so if you were to ask an individual if they would literally spend all of their money and their life savings on a perishable flower, if you were to ask an individual, they would probably laugh at your face. But the same could be said about purchasing a can of fresh air. So why do we allow ourselves to fall into this manipulation? The the short and easy answer is perception. We care about what other people think about us, especially in this example of the tulips. We care more about what other people think about us than really like the well-being of our entire families. And honestly, one of the uh, easiest ways you can kind of, well, one of the easiest, I guess, uh, Examples is to just scroll through my Instagram feed. And if you were to look at it, you were to find three things, three consistents. You'd find that I love my wife. I love Jill. I love being married to her. You'd find that I'm a youth pastor. I post about the students and they make fun of it. And that you'd see that I'd probably love my dog a little too much. I never thought I'd be one of those people, yet here I am. (laughs) But here's the thing. You see what I want you to see. That's the whole idea. You get a picture of my life that I want you to see. I choose to let you into these aspects of my life and refuse to show you all the, the piles of dishes that I've left by the sink, the overgrown backyard, the pile of laundry I'm too lazy to load, the dirty floors I've yet to wash, and the filthy car that has been neglected for weeks. I don't want you to see into the fight I had with Jill that was rooted in my selfishness and pride. I don't want you to see the difficulty of living over 2,000 2000 miles away from my immediate family. See, there's a lot of aspects of my life I don't want you to see. I let you see what I want you to see. And for the record, this is is kind of off, off the notes. There's nothing humble about posting anything online ever. We're literally posting it to be seen by other people. We are posting it to receive a reaction. And I don't care if that's, you know, um, your your struggle getting your child into the car or um, we do it to receive a reaction. And it's not like terrible. I'm not going to be like, all right, let's all delete our accounts today. Um, But we do it to receive a reaction. And so we care more about what other people perception of us is rather than 
everything else. We like to manipulate our surroundings so that they are perceived by others in the best way possible. And for those of you who don't know, you can you upload your picture onto Instagram, but our pictures are never good enough, so they give you like a bunch of filters to make it look better. And you guys laugh, but I'm being completely serious. You see, you, I want you guys, and I do it all the time, I, I want, you know, this like kind of crummy picture that I, I'm not a very good photographer, but I can make it look really good just with a filter. And so another example um, before we kind of dive into Stephen and the crowd, this is just a more just straight from me. This has happened relatively recently. The students have heard this. Um, an example of my life came just a couple weeks ago, and it was in August, and this was wrapping up the beach, uh, I mean, sorry, the summer, and we were at the beach. We were doing one of our beach days with a bunch of the students, and so we all pack into cars, and we, we head down to the beach, and we grill out, you know, we do a, uh, a big beach thing. And, and um, leading up to this point, I've spent most of the summer now seeking God, going, what is the direction this next year in the student ministry? Like, what do you want us to do? What, like, what are we trying to accomplish? What's the big picture goal here? And eventually God impressed on my heart one more. This idea of one more. That the Bible never gives us a limit to our ministry or a limit on how many conversations we should have or a limit on how many times we should share our faith. We should just be constantly looking for that one more time. And so this was impressed on my heart, and um, this was very much real on this beach day. None of the students know about this yet. Um, we, we didn't tell them about it until we, we launched um, later in the month. Um, but God has impressed this on my heart. I'm so excited, and so we're wrapping up the summer, and we're doing this beach day, and a bunch of students are out, and all this is great. And um, a retired uh, veteran kind of grumbled underneath his breath to me, asking kind of about our church and our ministry and why we're there. And he was dressed in, you know, just kind of interesting-looking clothes. Um, and my first re reaction was, you know what, I'm doing ministry. And so my first reaction was to turn away, to ignore him, to pretend like I didn't hear him. You know, because I'm too busy doing ministry with the students. And so I, I, I tur I'm, I'm, I'm turning, and as I'm turning, <laughs> guess what God does? God, God goes, in my heart, goes, Dan, one more. And I was like, oh, got me. <laughs> and so I turn around, and I, and I talk to this guy, and I hear a little bit about his life, and um, I share with him about the, the ministry that we're doing, and you know, what we're doing this next year, and what that looks like, and I'm sharing about the church. Uh, and um, the students are wrapping up what they were doing, and so, hey, I'm, I got to get back, and so can I pray for you? And so uh, he's like, absolutely, and so I pray for him. Now, I wish the story ended here, because it makes me look good, but it doesn't. And I, and I, and I turn around, and uh, one of the students is there, and uh, she'd witnessed this whole thing, and she goes, uh, Dan, that was so cool. How often do you, like, how often do you do that? And, you know, because I'm more concerned about what other people think about me, I said, whenever I get the opportunity. It had been months and months since I had done something like that. 
But see, in this moment, I cared more about what other people thought or specifically the students and the ministry that I'm supposed to lead. I was more concerned about what they thought of myself than anything else. And so this is, this is where we're at. I did not want to admit that I wanted to manipulate the situation to make me look as good as possible. And so with that being said, we're going to turn to Acts chapters 6 and 7. You guys can turn there. And JP asked me to preach on Acts 7, the trial, the defense, and ultimately the death of Stephen. Honestly, this is one of my favorite passages. For those of you who may not know, Stephen was a believer who stood up for his faith and relentlessly defended Christ and the gospel. This ultimately cost him his life. That's at the very end of chapter 7. And I've always loved Stephen's defense of the gospel because I think deep down that if I were ever in a similar situation and I was asked to stand up for my faith no matter what the cost, that I would have a very similar response like Stephen and stand on for my faith. And if I ever had the opportunity to defend it and give that witness that it would be educated and passionate and convicting defense of the gospel. However, as this passage, passage chapters 6 and 7, kind of sat on my heart in the weeks leading up to today, I realized that on most days I identify more with Stephen's accusers than I do with Stephen. And so we are in chapter 6 to start, verses 8, if you guys would read with me. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, when the members of the synagogue of the freemen, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom and the spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. That would be uh, like a council. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. To give some context for those of you who may not know, again, we're in this, um, we're in this series on Acts. JP started us here. And the people in this specific synagogue, they would have been Jews who lived outside of Jerusalem in the uh, Roman provinces. These men argued with Stephen that Jesus was in fact the Christ and the Son of God. Stephen, no doubt, was trying to explain how Christ fulfilled the law of Moses and that the God of Israel became incarnate to provide one sacrifice for all. Their response was to twist and manipulate the crowd. These leaders in the Jewish law would have been very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures and would have known the prophecies about Christ. However, they confronted, they were, when confronted about it, they were simply more concerned about how, were they, how they were perceived by everyone else. And so verse 12 and 13, so they stirred up the people. They stirred up a fickle crowd. 
They started sharing lies. And because it's crowd, they caught on to it, just like the can of fresh air, just like the tulips. They stirred up the people, verse 12, and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. And they went a step further, verse 13. They produced false witnesses. They bribed people to lie. That's what they did. They bribed people to lie just so that Stephen would look bad, just so that they would save their perception and what they believe about the law. They accused Stephen of not following in the footsteps of Moses and created stories and witnesses that lied just so that they would get their own way. This brings us to our first point. The leaders of the law chose to manipulate the crowd in their favor. Favor. They chose to manipulate. They chose to spread false teachings. They chose to spread lies. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves, you guys, where does this sound familiar? Maybe in some of the illustrations I gave you already. This is why I was so convicted as I read through this passage. Honestly, I wanted to go on and on about Stephen's faithful and incredible defense of the gospel. That's what I wanted to do. I really did. But as I read, I couldn't shake God's conviction on my own heart of the ways I daily manipulate my surroundings so that I am perceived a certain way. I am just like the leaders who rejected Christ 2,000 years ago. There's a point number one. The leaders chose to manipulate the crowd. That is where I find myself. But that's not where this morning ends. And then there's Stephen. Then there is Stephen. And I I wish we had time um, when JP said, yeah, you can, you know, you can talk about Stephen. Uh, Chapter 7 is 60 verses long. I wish we had time to go through all of it. Because it's amazing. But we're just going to highlight some of the things that Stephen did and he said. And it says, nowhere, nowhere in these chapters, nowhere does it say that Stephen tried to produce his own witnesses. You see, they, they produced false witnesses. They were sharing all these lies. Stephen never even attempts to go out and go, well, I know some people who were there. They could say maybe something different. Stephen doesn't do that. He doesn't try to find anyone to refute their claims. He doesn't try to produce his own witnesses. He refuses to manipulate anyone or anything. And now that the crowd has spoken, they say these false teachings, they accuse him, and they stop to see what his his response is. Verse 15, chapter 6, verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. There's another time this happens in Scripture. And it's not ironic. God purposely provided this witness for Stephen. You see, the other time comes in Exodus 34. And many of you guys maybe know this, when Moses receives the law and had literally been uh, God's presence and glory reflected off the side of the mountain and it was so holy and so perfect that Moses' face was glowing. 
Exodus 34, 29 says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. The Spirit went ahead of Stephen before he said one word. Why? Our second point. Stephen chose to yield to the Spirit. Stephen chose to yield to the Spirit. He didn't try to manipulate anything. He literally allowed the Spirit to come in. And as they accuse him against Moses, as they accuse him against uh, Moses' teachings and the law, before he gives his defense... Before he gives his defense and how he, how he comes in line with Moses and how Jesus was, was, a, was God incarnate and that they've been persecuting all the prophets and all this, before he even gives this, God makes his face shine just like Moses's. Confirming that he is in fact in the presence of God and he in fact was a true witness. Stephen chose to yield to the Spirit. The leaders chose to manipulate. Stephen chose to yield to the Spirit. When we allow the Spirit to go before us, that is where the power lies and not in our own words or actions. When we try on our own, it becomes about us. Becomes about us. So Stephen yields to the simply and he just, he simply goes through the history of Israel in which uh, we don't have, again, I wish we had time to cover this. This is an incredible testimony and one of my favorite parts of Scripture. But he goes through the history of Israel up until, up until where they were at that time. And he chooses to look at how God called Abraham and then walk through how God worked through Moses. And he uses the same person they are accusing him of not following. And I believe, I personally believe, it doesn't say this specifically in Scripture, I personally believe that Stephen's fate was decided before he arrived that day. I mean, if they'd gone through all the trouble to get these people to lie, they were, they were trying to manipulate the outcome. These leaders set him up for failure and ultimately death. But in Stephen's testimony, he comes to Jesus and how God made manifest his son in the person of Jesus and that they chose not to listen to him and ultimately kill him. And here's the thing, these leaders are in utter denial that they did something wrong. They're in utter denial. And even if we were to, um, apart from rejecting God as, or Jesus as the Son of God, that's, that's a separate thing. Um, they don't think they've done anything wrong. They don't think they've committed murder. And this is, what, this is the whole point. They're so concerned about their perception. No, they didn't, they didn't actually kill Jesus. The, the Roman soldiers were the actual ones that were whipping him and, and drove in those nails and hung him on the cross. They only handed him over on a silver platter. They only stirred up a mob over here so that if they didn't do what they wanted to, they were going to have an uproar. But they don't see it that way. Technically, the Romans were the ones that killed him, not us. And so Stephen says this, chapter 7, verse 51, he confronts them. And he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? 
They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Stephen confronts them about this. And their response is, again, just like, just like maybe something I would do. That as I'm, as I'm going through Scripture and I'm like, oh, this is so good. Oh, yeah, this is so good. Oh, God's so good. He does all this crazy stuff. And then there's, you know, those couple verses that, like, speak straight into your circumstance and what you're doing wrong. And we quick close it up and put it back on the shelf like, oh, I didn't actually read that. That's the response here. That Stephen addresses how they've made these mistakes. And at this moment, this, is, this was curious to me, at this moment the crowd had a choice. These, this group had a choice. They could have seen their wrongdoing. They could have made that choice. They could have admitted their sins and received forgiveness and grace. They could have. If we look at Jesus' ministry, there is no point that is too far. Just look at the thief on the cross. You can live your whole life in denial. You can live your whole life living in a way that is contrary to Scripture or against God. But there is no point that is too far. And so at any point in this, in this, in this moment, they could, have, they could have realized that and they could have been convicted and they could have opened up Scripture further and they could have heard that or seen Stephen's witness. But instead they slam their Bible shut like we do and they throw it down and they, they grab Stephen and they ultimately throw him outside and they kill him. They had a choice. They had an opportunity. Or they could continue living in denial of their past and the decisions they had made. And so guys, this is the crossroads we're at this morning. There's these two sides, these two, there's this crowd and this group, and there's this individual, Stephen. And we have the opportunity to choose one way or the other. Because as soon as we leave today, or as soon as we leave next week, or whatever it is, as soon as we go out, the crowd, the world, they start speaking to us. And they start trying to pull us in. And they start trying to manipulate us into acting or thinking a certain way. And here's the sad thing, you guys. And I'll speak for myself first, of course. I buy into it. We buy into it. Now, we may not be buying tulips that die in a couple days, but we buy into this idea that our, our, the perception of other people matters, and so we go through great lengths to look a certain way, to dress a certain way, to act a certain way, to live our lives in a certain way, just so that we're perceived better. And so we have this choice, and here's our last point, kind of bringing the two together, marrying the two together. The temptation will always be to follow the crowd. That will constantly be the temptation. The temptation is always to follow the crowd, but when tempted by the crowd, we need to yield to the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit goes before us and makes the decisions and, and is the witness we can't do on our own. 
Stephen couldn't do this on his own. He had to rely on the Spirit. This is huge. The crowd. And now we're not back with Stephen. We are here today. The world, the crowd is going to attack our character. They're going to attack our witness. They're going to attack our beliefs. They may even physically attack us. What are we going to do about it? And that's where we've gone over this and hopefully I've been as transparent with you guys as, as possible. Um, but I, we left a blank box on the note sheet. And you can do whatever you want with that. But this isn't something that, this is something I've been convicted of, but this is something that we each individually needs to hash out on our own. What does that look like for us? Where have we fallen short? How have we followed in the footsteps of a crowd, been manipulated, like to manipulate other people into the perception of our lives? Uh, the verse on the front of your uh, bulletin is Joshua twenty four fifteen, And this is back um, in a similar situation. Joshua, the people choosing to follow idols, follow the world. And what does Joshua say? All right, choose for yourselves this day who you are going to serve. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait to see what the rest of the sermon series is like. Choose this day who you are going to serve. And that, that is the point. The leaders of the law chose to manipulate. That is what the world does. That is what the crowd does. And the sad thing is we buy into that. We buy into the idea that this tulip is important. That the perception of other peoples is really that important when the creator of the universe, who already thinks so highly of us, offers his life as a sacrifice for us and goes, it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter what you've been through, it doesn't matter what your lives look like, I love you, I care about you, and I want to be in that relationship with you. And that's what, hopefully what the emphasis was at communion. That no matter where we are, maybe, hey, maybe we've chosen to live our lives manipulating what people think. Maybe we have yielded to the Spirit in, in certain areas of our life. And that's, and that's fabulous. Wherever we are here, it doesn't mean it's not going to be hard tomorrow. And wherever we are, we have this opportunity today, this week, to respond to the gospel once again. You see, I grew up with the... Uh, uh, not the best understanding of the gospel. Um, whenever, I, whenever I did something wrong <clears throat> growing up, I would, you know, rededicate my life to Christ, keep giving my life to Christ over and over and over again. Um, <clears throat> I've probably done it 300 times. But God doesn't ask us to do that. But I also had the wrong perception that um, once I understood, okay, that, I don't need to do that, I had a wrong perception that, okay, I've accepted Christ, I believe the gospel, and that's done. No, the gospel is something that convicts us at the core of this passage, at the core of what Stephen says, is the good news of the gospel. Jesus came. We have a choice. We can identify with a crowd. We can identify with the world. Or we can make the really, really hard decision to yield to the Spirit, trusting that no matter what comes next, 
Stephen, no matter what comes after this defense, I have let the Spirit go in front of me. And to end, I want us to read uh, chapter 7, verses 55. And this is minutes before Stephen's killed. He says, But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. When he's yielded to the Spirit, he yielded to the Spirit, the glory of God. He witnesses it. And it's shining off his face. Just like Moses. I thought that was incredible. The very man they're trying to accuse him of. And God goes, no. This guy's doing exactly what I've asked him to do. But it cost him his life. So we have that choice. We have this crossroads. We can either identify with the crowd, with the group, with what's popular, with what's um, meaningful by today's standards, whatever that is. And again, I say this as one. Hopefully I've given you a picture of what that looks like in my life, that this is something I leave here today. It's going to be hard to do tomorrow. It's going to be hard to do the next day and next week. We must choose to yield to the Spirit. Each one of us. That's why there's a blank box. No one's going to force you to do that. You write in there whatever you feel God's leading you to today. Let's pray. God, thank you for... I just thank you first and foremost for the gospel. That uh, regardless of where we're at today, regardless of what's happened to us, regardless of how we've chosen to live our lives... um, that you love us. You desire to be with us. And that even when we fall up short, even when we turn to this world, even when we turn to the perceptions of other people, that you are standing there with arms wide open. God, thank you for the gospel. I pray that this uh, runs deep into our lives today, deep into my heart as we go tomorrow and we make decisions, and we see people, and we're tempted to say certain things or to do certain things that make ourselves look better, and in doing so are pointing people away from you rather than to you. God, I pray that this morning that each one of us would make that conscious decision to yield to the Holy Spirit and simply follow. Follow whatever the Spirit has us do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before the worship band closes us, uh, JP has been standing out down front here. Um, if, if anyone would like to pray, um, I'll be down in front, uh, down in this corner um, during this last song, if you feel led to do that. Mm.